Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we take a closer look at how political parties function. They are important because most politicians march under party banners. How parties are structured and how they function will be the subject of a public ethics conference this week. It's titled Leadership, Ethics, and Political Parties and is sponsored by UMSL and Focus St. Louis. Joining me to talk about political parties, Wally Seward, Director of Civic Engagement for Focus St. Louis. Annie Rice is the St. Louis Alderwoman for the 8th Ward and 5th Senatorial District Democratic Committee woman. Former Oklahoma Congressman Mickey Edwards is vice president for the Aspen Institute and the author of The Parties Versus the People. He joins us by phone. Thank you all so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. Congressman, I'm going to start with you. The title of your book, uh, The Parties Versus the People, would seem to indicate that you believe that uh, the two are in opposition. Are they? Well, they're in opposition. Uh, you know, so uh, the the subtitle of the book, remember, is how to turn Republicans and Democrats into Americans. And the idea is that uh, what we need is a system in which uh, our representatives, uh, whether in the state legislature, the council, or Congress, whatever, you know, come together as people who uh, can talk to each other, can uh, listen to each other, can. Uh, formulate some areas of consensus or compromise so that we can get our problems solved. And in fact, political parties do the opposite. You know, they divide you into rival camps with your set agendas and, and demands for loyalty and, and sticking with the team. And uh, the, that's why, you know, George Washington's farewell address uh, said, don't create political parties. He begged us not to create political parties. The, uh, uh, the founder, James Madison, said that. Uh, James Monroe said that, uh, and uh, we did it, and we're paying a price for it. So the system is flawed. I, well, I think the system is, is flawed because it puts these, instead of having wide open debate with a lot of different ideas, uh, these these clubs are able to narrow it so you're choosing between A and B instead of uh, looking at all of the options and alternatives you have and saying maybe it's somewhere in the middle. And uh, our current political system doesn't let that happen. Annie Rice, what do you think? I, I <laughs> obviously, it, I my current my previous election is the um, kind of a hot topic here. It, excuse me, in St. Louis for um, the party here. We're a, a one-party town um, primarily. We do have um, a Republican committee as well, but a Republican hasn't won here in the city in a long time. And so, you know, running as an independent, uh, while as holding up all of the values of the Democratic Party um, was something that has, has created a lot of controversy here. And I think um, what we were able to do in that election was to bring up the issues and not just um, whether someone has a D or an I or an R next to their name. And I, I think I would agree that there's there's a much better conversation to be had around um, your positions on policy and your beliefs that lead you to make decisions um, than merely saying, well, I am a Democrat or I am a Republican and I will only hold to those things. Well, is well, as a political philosopher, I kind of try to go back to first principles, and I like to think of government as an ongoing mm-hmm. moral tragedy full of paradox and conflict, and that's how we know it's working, mm-hmm. because it reflects a population that is full of paradox and conflict. Uh, political parties do divide us into groups. Uh, another way of thinking about that is that they reflect the divisions within the group uh, that are substantial and important. 
Uh, the question is, do they help in overcoming those divides to actually be able to rule the country in the end and move us forward via, uh, as Congressman Edwards said, finding common ground and finding compromise? I think uh, what role political parties have in that process is something we usually only talk about when we have one particular candidate that we're pushing for. So we only think about process when we have a certain outcome in mind. My hope for this conference is that we think about the process kind of abstractly and say generally, without a specific outcome in mind, what would be the best way to make these kinds of decisions? Uh, Congressman, could it be argued that the uh, the parties themselves are not democratic? <laughs> the parties are the exact opposite of democratic. <laughs> what, what they do is, you know, by the way, they control the elections. Uh, the way, uh, I don't know about Missouri law, but I'm willing to bet that you have the same law that most other states have, which is... Uh, if the people who vote in your party primary, no matter how few there are, don't nominate you, maybe because you're too willing to compromise, uh, you can't be on the ballot in November. So the parties actually serve the role of taking away from voters uh, the wide range of choices they might have. And so, I mean, uh, any you, you hold office. Uh, how would your uh, constituents feel, uh, as mine would have, if I went to them and I said, look, you've checked me out, you, you've looked to see how smart you think I am and what my values are and, and all that, so I ask you to put your trust in me, and as soon as you do, I will go to uh, the state capitol or to Washington, and, and I will do whatever my party leader tells me to do. They wouldn't elect you. They wouldn't elect me. Uh, but that's precisely the system that, that we have. You have a big smile on your face, Annie. <laughs> I, I do because, uh, you know, Congressman, I, my election was a result of a special election where um, the party, um, my opponent and I were both members of the local Democratic Party, um, and they made a um, – a nomination for the Democrat on the ballot. And so I did have to run as an independent in order to be in my office. Um, and and it's something that we do see a lot, especially here on the local level. Um, I, I think it's we get a little bit trickier when we get to the state level, when we get to the congressional level, um, because it's I, I was able to knock doors in my ward and for my 10,000 people um you know, I didn't knock all, all 10,000 of them, but I knocked doors seven times through of, of people who were are voters. And I'm able to get that information to them very quickly. And there is, I think there is a role to play for a party structure for some way of communicating information um, when you get into much larger districts, when you get into, you know, here's here's something that we want to accomplish as a group of people. So while I don't think it should be completely dictated from the top down, I think there is a role to play there um, for or organizing around a certain set of principles. Yeah, good good for you, by the way, for knocking on doors when I got elected. Uh, I was the first Republican elected in my district uh, since 1928, and it was 75% Democrat, and I'm a Republican. And so I knocked on doors. I knocked on 10,000 doors, but, you know, in a, and one in a congressional district by going door to door. So there are those ways to do it. It's interesting to me that uh, right before we went on there on air, we were having a brief conversation about the kind of loss of the curatorial role in journalism uh, in the sense that everyone can kind of uh, have access to what they want. Uh, so 
when we're talking now kind of on the opposite side and saying, well, hey, the political parties have this curatorial role in terms of who gets access to the ballot, who gets access to their base, who gets access to their voter roles, their voter information. Um, so on the one hand, uh, we seem to think that uh, the news needs a curator uh, and uh, maybe uh, political parties don't. Is that something – do we feel like we are, we're a little in conflict there? What do you think, Congressman? Hello? Well, you know, what do I think about that? I, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's not a matter in a democracy. What you need to do is to give alternatives. You, you need the people to be able to look at all of the potential candidates for the office. <clears throat> we listen to them. Uh, you know, the, the idea that you can't get information may have been true before the Internet age. Uh, it's not true today. Uh, and, and you can size up individuals not by which club they belong to, uh, but by their own individual merits, and, and then vote. And uh, uh, it shouldn't be, you know, so, um, Annie, I think you're the one who mentioned uh, about the, there, there's something telling, at least, uh, about a label. Uh, well, if you're a Democrat, as you are, um, and, and somebody votes for a Democrat, are they going to get Elizabeth Warren or Joe Manchin? And if you're a Republican and you, you vote for the Republican label, are you going to get uh, uh, Donald Trump or John Kasich? So it really doesn't serve that function very well. And the idea that you have a small group with its own narrow agenda uh, able to say, you go along with us or you're out, uh, is anti-democratic. Now, that may be good. Some people may think that's fine. Uh, but it, it does erode democracy, and at the federal level, you know, it also erodes the separation of powers because you're inclined. Uh, if you're a Republican and there's a Democratic president, or you're a Democrat and there's a Republican president, you're inclined to uh, oppose them. But if the if the president is of your party, you, the separation of powers disappears, and you say, you know, that's my team captain, that's my quarterback, and I, and I've got to stick with him. So. Uh, yeah, I, I find the party system to be the exact opposite of uh, of a democratic system. And in Washington, as you point out, it really has resulted in a, a form of paralysis, hasn't it? Uh, well, it's, it's partly a, a form of paralysis. There are other times when it should be when it's not. Uh, so when the current president uh, proposes to... Um, eliminate DACA or uh, proposes to uh, put a travel ban in place, uh, things that Republicans would have traditionally opposed, uh, they go along with it, or they, or they stay silent, because he's their guy. And so uh, uh, it, it is very damaging. I, the party, party loyalty has become the number one thing you swear loyalty to. And then the Constitution sort of slips out of the way. But, you know, the purpose of the Constitution, somebody said it before. I don't remember any whether it was you, which one of you said it, which one of you said it. Uh, but it is process that matters in a democracy. It's not outcome. Because if you lose the battle, you can go back and win it the next time. But, but it is the process the democratic process that really matters, and the uh, party does away with that. I agree that it's the, the process uh, that is important. Uh, something I've said is, you know, the only reason a democracy works is because every single in that person in that democracy has a vague belief in the back of their head. They may not have even articulated to themselves that no matter what decision the government comes up with, whether it's one they agree with or one they don't, 
at some point in the process, their point of view, their perspective, their interest got represented and had their five minutes to pound their fist on the table. If they don't feel like the process, no matter what decision it eventually came to, includes that, at that point we start having a population that starts to look around for a different system. Andy, yeah. even when you have a, a lock on power, as is the case uh, in the state of Missouri and also uh, in the Board of Aldermen, that doesn't ensure that the process is going to move along smoothly at all. Right, right. I mean, I think we're seeing in, in Jefferson City, especially, we're, we're starting to see um, Republicans break rank um, and start um, challenging the, the Republican governor. Um, in the city, you know, we, we are an entirely Democratic Party um, controlled. And I it there is a lot of disagreement as far as what our priorities should be, what our direction should be, um, how we go about getting to those things. And so, you know, I do think that there is there's a huge risk of um, of roadblock, and when you have either or situations, I, I don't I don't find myself um, swearing loyalty first and foremost um, to the party. I am a member of the party. Mm-hmm. I believe that there are values to that, um, and that that is important enough for me to put that by my name to be elected into the state party to work on our platform, for example. Um, but that if we're not serving the people, then I think there has to be room for flexibility in there, um, that this this cannot be just an either or situation, either you're with us or you're against us. That doesn't, that doesn't work for humans, that doesn't work on any level. Um, and so there, there's got to be some room to move in there. So Congressman, Andy gets a gold star in your book, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but not, listen, not just in my, in my book. Uh, you, you mentioned that you ended up having to run uh, as an independent. Well, you know, over 40% of Americans who register to vote now register as independents. Uh, the the uh, truth is that there is a move away from parties, uh, a rejection of parties. This is especially true among younger voters uh, who see themselves as a la carte voters. You know, they don't want to be told you, you choose, you know, either menu A or menu B. Uh, and uh, I think I think the last number I saw was 42 percent of Americans uh, who now identify as independents rather than members of a party. So, um, yeah, I think that's the ten- the tendency. I think people have said this is not working for us. So if more and more of our voters are registering as independents who want to choose their candidates on an a la carte basis and the party no longer kind of holds that power to say, hey, uh, we want you to vote straight ticket down, uh, up and down on these issues, what is the response of the parties? What, given that they have to be a big tent party, we only have two parties with viable options at most of the high seats of office here in the country. So if you're a big tent party and you see more and more of those voters moving into that space, how do you respond? Do you go further into your corner and harden your uh, core small base? Do you open up and try to bring more and more coalitions of different-minded people to work on th- on spaces where they agree? How? What should be the party's response? I'll, be, I'll ask, uh, however, to hold that thought. If you would for a moment, I have to take a break. We'll do that now and come back. And then answer, answer Wally Seward's uh, question here. He is with Focus St. Louis. Andy Rice is a St. Louis alderman, the 8th Ward. Also joining us today is former Oklahoma Congressman Mickey Edwards. He's the vice president for the Aspen Institute, by the way. Back to continue this conversation on political parties and how they function in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Welcome back as we continue our conversation on how political parties function. Congressman, would you like to pick up on the point uh, made uh, by Wally Seward just a moment ago concerning independent voters in the big tents? Well, I, you know, obviously, if you're going to have the party system, uh, the, the, you would like to see a bigger tent, but that sort of goes against the whole idea of a political party. Uh, I, I think what we really ought to be going toward is, is something. George Washington, uh, as I said, you know, pleaded with us not to create parties. Well, we wrote the uh, Declaration of Independence and the Constitution uh, without them by people coming together and saying, you know, let, let's put everything on the table. Uh, and so if you do have a political party system, I think it's essential that you allow the parties to uh, flourish a little more. So in, in California, uh, and in Washington State, they still have political parties, uh, but now they have a system where everybody runs on the same ballot. All the voters can choose among all of the options. And even though um, you're, you're Kamala Harris and you're a Democrat or you're somebody else and you're a Republican, uh, and people know that, uh, it is still possible for you to look at all the alternatives that you face instead of having them weeded out for you by people who generally in the primaries tend to be the most partisan and the most unwilling to compromise. So there are ways to do it uh, where you keep your party identity, but at the same time you uh, give voters more choices uh, than, than you do now. We, we just had in this last election, and you know your viewers, your listeners are going to be wherever, but we just had in this last election a case where uh, the voters were asked to choose for president between two people they disliked. And, and you know, there's something a little wrong with that. Uh, and people said, how did we get to this point? We don't like A, we don't like B, uh, and those are the only two choices we have. And so we, we have to get past that in some way. Annie, what do you think? You know, there is a there's a group that is circulating a petition here in St. Louis for ranked choice of voting, um, particularly just for municipal elections. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting way to start talking about what people are about and not just what letter they want to put after their name. And I think that is what, especially here in a one-party controlled um, city, that's what people are looking for. That's what, um, like the congressman mentioned, uh, younger voters are looking for as well. Um, with access to information about who people are and what they believe, um, then you, you get a situation where you're um, you're able to actually compare people one to the other and not just based on party. Um, and it, and I, I think it increases participation in democracy, which is obviously a, a significant goal. And NPR devoted an hour to the subject of ranked choice voting this morning. And I, I was only able to listen to it in and out. But c- explain, if you would, what ranked choice voting is for those who don't understand it. It can, it can be a little complicated. Sure. And I, I may have to defer uh, to Dr. Seward over here a little bit. But um, basically, you Instead of a primary process, you have one ballot where everyone, um, anyone who is up for that seat uh, is has their name on it. And people are allowed to choose their first choice, their second choice, their third choice. Um, and that is how then a, you know, a runoff would be determined between the top choice getters, right? And so um, it's kind of a numerical comp- calculation as far as who ends up winning, quote, that um, that particular election. Um, but it does allow for um, someone who would normally be, you know, would be an independent, say, wouldn't get that much attention, could bump themselves up that list and become, you know, option number two in the runoff. Um, and 
if I'm not explaining more, if there's more that I'm missing, please fill in the gaps there. The only thing that I would say is the interesting part about ranked choice voting, and that's not the only option. There are others, uh, like the five-star system. You just take every candidate and give them one through five stars. We do it on the internet all the time for mm -hmm. reviews. And the fundamental idea is you can get the more information about the voters, each individual voter's preferences. If I like, uh, you know, Republican A and Democrat B in, a, in an election, currently I can only exercise one of those preferences. But if I have an order between those two, now with ranked choice voting, I can say, well, this guy would be my first choice, but counterintuitively, perhaps this guy would be my second choice. We now know a lot more about what that voter wants, and that's good for a democracy, if you ask me. What do you think, Congressman? Is that something you'd like to consider? Well, I think there are values to ranked choice voting, and, and a lot of my friends who have been elected uh, have been elected in that system at a local level uh, for mayor, council members. Uh, I think it's a little more problematic at the national level, but uh, I, I do have one reservation about it, and that is I, I could be for ranked choice voting if at the end of the process there were a runoff. Uh, so that you, the voters could now look at what their two final choices really are and compare them, hear them debate each other, hear, hear their different views. Because if you've got five or six or seven candidates and you're ranking them, uh, you don't ever have a chance to compare the top two who are, are your real choices. And so if you had ranked choice up to the point that at the very end, whoever those top two would be, uh, they actually run against each other uh, in a runoff, I would feel a lot more comfortable with it. What, what other options are out there with regard to, uh, to, to, to making these choices? Uh, if, the, if the party system is flawed, what do we replace it with? Wally, I'll start with you and work around the table. Um, I don't know that at this point, perhaps if we were designing the country from the ground up and starting from zero, we might try something different. I'm not sure we can say at this point, hey, let's get rid of political parties, even if we might want to, if we were you know, draw, going from a blank slate. Uh, I think most definitely one of the biggest problems is that each party has to be such a big tent that it has to deal with this tension between its core values and all of the people they have to draw in in order to actually get into office. So at the very least, maybe hopefully start opening it up a little bit and seeing other parties uh, get real possibilities at office. But of course, given our current system, that's going to be a pretty big lift. Mm -hmm. Andy, what do you think? This, this is a part of the conversation that I uh, I don't have a lot of ideas because it's something that, you know, we see multi-party systems work uh, well in other countries, uh, but we don't, we don't really have a setup for that, right? And even in Missouri, we have, say, if the Green Party wanted to run a candidate, they have to get a certain percentage on the ballot in the previous election to even run as a separate ballot um, to, you know, to run with Green Party next to their name. And so... Um, we make it really difficult. We have a lot of barriers in place to make it so that um, more parties can't join. Um, and the elimination of parties, I think, would be a significant upheaval that uh, we couldn't do overnight. So I, uh, so I'm hoping the congressman has some ideas. Because uh, I'll bet he does. <laughs> go, go ahead, Congressman. Well, look, uh, 
uh, multi-party systems have their problem too, because the root problem is the parties. It's, it's, you know, it's this is our agenda. So if you add a third party or a fourth party, they will soon. There's an assumption that now this will be some sort of uh, more moderate centrist party, but it could be just as easily, you know, the Tea Party or you know something on, you know, on the left. Uh, so. Uh, they will, each party will then have its agenda. You just have more uh, people out there with, you stick to this and you stick to that. Uh, I don't think it's all that difficult to get past it. We we have one state that has uh, nonpartisan legislatures. You know, the Roman Republic actually governed a good part of the known world for 500 years without political parties. The Athenian democracy didn't have them, and we didn't have them when we started, and our founders said not to do it. So... Um, we can change it. We can change it through uh, initiative petitions. We can change it uh, through various ways. But um, even short of that, we have to find a way that we break down this idea of party loyalty. You know, I'm not. We're always going to have political parties. People are going to come together and band with people who think the way they do. They're going to do that. So all we have to do is try to take away from them the power to control redistricting, uh, the power to control who can be on the ballot. So let the parties be there and let them cheer and let them say, I want Annie and I'm going to give money to Annie and, uh, you know, I want you to vote for her and we'll go out and work for her. Uh, but um, just as the situation she faced, you know, it's not where we're going to sit together and say, no, this is your choice, your only choice, because uh, that's who we want. Um, and I think we have to break up that system. So Annie just talked about how difficult it is to get on the ballot uh, and what percentage of the vote you need in, uh, in the early stages. Well, that's because the parties made that decision. Just like on the, when the presidential candidates debate, who can be on the stage in the debate? Well, you have to get a certain percentage that was determined by the Republican Party and Democratic Party representatives to the commission that makes that decision. So um, there is no way out of it unless you break the ability of the parties to control the process. I'm not quite sure how you do that. I actually would say that in some ways it's already happening organically simply because the parties used to have a monopoly on the infrastructure you need to get elected, the channels of information to voters. And those channels are getting democratized via technology right. at this point. So I think there is a certain sense in which right now what's happening is parties are getting settled with candidates that they didn't necessarily want. Um, and maybe in the future – uh, the, those candidates won't have to go through the party because they have independent access to those voters. Our time is beginning to wind down, and I do want to let people know about uh, your event later this week. While I want you tell folks what's happening and how Annie and uh, the congressman are involved. Uh, the, yeah, it's a con it's a conversation. It's day long on Thursday, uh, nine to four, out at UMSL. Uh, it's a day long conversation about what political parties should be, how much control over candidates, over money, over messaging should they have. We've got a panel full of Democrats talking about one party rule in the city. We've got a panel full of party, uh, Republicans talking 
talking about one-party rule or virtual one-party rule in the state legislature. And then, of course, the congressman uh, is our keynote speaker. And in response to him, we also have uh, Dr. Duraka Larry Moore Hall, who is the vice chair of the California Democratic Party, who can talk to us a little bit about their new voting systems out there. Ought to be a really interesting conversation. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, well, that's uh, once again, that's happening on Thursday, and it's from 9 to 4 at the Millennium Student Center out on the Yumsel campus. If you want to find out more, go to focusstlouis.org. We will put that information on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Annie Rice, thank you so much for being with us. Enjoy yourself at the conference. Wally Seward, thank you for being with us. Hope your conference is a success. Thank you. And Congressman Mickey Edwards, thank you so much for being with us. Great talking to you. I enjoyed it. Thanks. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.